you like to give a shout out to your dad for my new show? Yeah, I'd love to. Hey, dad, keep flying high. Love ya. G'day, dad. G'day to my old man. G'day, dad. Hey, dad. Hello, dad. Who is in heaven? Hi, dad. Do you want to say hi to your dad? Hi, dad. Hey, dad. Hello, dad. Hey, dad. Hello, dad. Thanks for everything, dad. Hi, dad. Hello, pop. Happy birthday, dad. Hi, dad. How's it going, dad? Thanks, dad. Hello, papa. Oi, Javi, old bastard. Hey, dad. Hello, dad. Uh, I hope you're well. Uh, I, I love you. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Hi, dad. Where the hell are you? G'day, dad. Hey, dad. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Yo. And good evening. Father Figures is back on the airways for another hour on Sin Nation. And what does that mean? It means we're going to spend the next 60 minutes exploring, laughing and discussing dad stuff. It's a massive show, but they're all massive. So let's get going before I run out of time like last week. And actually, I am going to digress quickly. So I do need to come clean about something to all of my listeners. And and this might seem a little weird, considering the show is all about dads, but, but I don't want you to see me in any different light. And I really don't think you should. So that is, I'm not a dad. That's right, your host Victor, doing a radio program all about dads, is not a dad himself. I mean, I do have a dad, but not being a father, I don't think this excludes me from hosting a show all about them. In fact, I think it probably makes for a host with no preconceived notions about fatherhood. Which is why each week, On the show, I have wonderful guests who can bring the discussion to light and your ears with their own amazing stories, expertise, thoughts and opinions. And who knows, I could become a dad by the end of the show. Maybe that's the cliffhanger. Maybe I just said that to scare loyal listeners, mum and dad. And I have got some captivating guests on tonight for our theme focusing on addicted dads. It's a serious and full-on topic, but addiction is a part of society that affects lots of people. People from all backgrounds can get an addiction at any age. So, of course, you can be addicted to lots of different things. I'm sure there are lots of dads who are addicted to coffee and lots of their kids who are addicted to computer games. But tonight on Father Figures, we're going to be talking about addictions that can have really negative effects on families, Uh, so mostly drug and alcohol addictions. I'll be speaking to two dads... One is a former alcoholic and the other is a former ice addict. So both are now clean and we talk about their troubles with drug and alcohol dependency and how it affected their ability to be good parents and and how they're trying to now turn it all around. I also interview Michael Thorne, who is the CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, about the impact alcohol is having on Australian families. And lastly, I talk with Dr. Stefan Grunert from Odyssey House, which offers treatment and support services for people with drug and alcohol conditions. So it is a sensitive topic, but I want to share these powerful stories because I think it's important to highlight all different types of dads on Farter Figures. So stick around as well for some laughs with Dad Joke of the Week, the ever-terrible dad fashion and dadisms. Because there is so much compelling content surrounding our theme tonight, once again, and I'm sorry, advertising is going to miss out for another week, but I promise, and I promise it'll be back next week, and you might even get two dad ads. 
I should also mention before we get going, you can get involved over at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash figures. Like always, this episode will be podcasted. Jump on iTunes or sin.org and search Farter Figures to check out all the previous content and share Farter Figures around. And we've had some great episodes already this season. Uh, we've had ones with dads using IVF, dads in sport, stepdads, and, and last week's thought-provoking look at dads balancing work and family life. And there is never, ever a shortage of dads catching our attention in the media, so let's get the scoop in tonight's bulletin. Your TV program, My Life is Safe. I can make a fresh start. Dad news! Dad news! It's time for Dads in the News. Firstly, we have a dad of two kids who is expecting a third child soon, replicating a story not unlike The Hangover, except a wild night of boozing is not to blame for this one. So basically, the British dad was trying to fly home from Germany to England, and guess what? <laughs> He ended up in Las Vegas. Yes, that's a massive mistake. It's a huge one. So he boarded the flight, which he thought was going to UK, and had his boarding pass checked by staff multiple times. He got onto the plane, which he thought was pretty big for a short flight, but he didn't worry, chucked on his headphones and nodded off and went to sleep. And he woke up, saw the in-flight tracker, freaked out that the plane had flown over England. So he asked the person next to him where they were going, and he finds out they're going all the way to Las Vegas. So he used the plane's Wi-Fi to tell his pregnant wife he's on the wrong plane. And then the story gets even more crazy. He said, US immigration officers, and I can personally vouch for their staunchness, he, they threatened to detain him without a visa. He was put in a cell and searched. But he eventually got allowed on a plane back to Germany. From there, he had to go all the way to London and he said the airline treated him like a criminal, thought he had, you know, crafted some sneaky plan to get a cheap ticket to Las Vegas and all up the ordeal put him out of pocket about a thousand pounds and he got home two days later than originally planned and he didn't even make it to Caesar's Palace. So, um, yeah, the airline has said the incident has been resolved, which means... I mean, he's got some reimbursement, I'm assuming, and, and attributed the error to a service provider employee. But I seriously think you can't help but laugh. It's seriously wild, and it's just a shame the dad couldn't have enjoyed a few days on the strip. So in our second story tonight, a son has thought of a new way to keep his dad close after he passed away, and that's called the dad bot. And it kind of works like Siri on your phone. So after his dad was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, John and his family wanted to create an oral history of his father while he was still alive. So being a journalist, John spent hours with his dad recording his life story. And instead of having it all, you know, just lying around on the bookshelf, his interest in artificial intelligence led him to create the dad bod. And here's a short snippet from the Wired's documentary about it. I could keep talking to my dad after he died, in a way. Let's talk about the Daily Cal. My father was very into sports. He was a Cal sports fan. He was very interested in music. How about you sing me a Cal song? Our sturdy golden bear is watching from the sky. 
I do have a version of my dad in my pocket on, on my phone. There were times right after he died where I found myself reaching for the phone, wanting to talk to him. Talking to the dad bot gives me little glimpses of talking to my real dad. I mean, the dad bot, his, his digital brain has my dad's real words. One thing I got out of building the bot was it was a deep dive into who my father is. Like how do I distill my dad and how is his, his personality expressed? Whether I succeeded with the bot itself, not totally clear, but as an exercise and even trying, I feel like I got to know my dad even better and just to really kind of celebrate him and, and be with him uh, in a time when I was losing him. Obviously, dad bod, bot, sorry, not a dad bod, a dad bot has its flaws and, and you know, it will never replace his father, but I think it was more about the enjoyment of making the bot and talking with his father about his life. So it's, you know, certainly a little different to Siri. And finally in sport, young gun golfer Justin Thomas won the PGA Championship on Sunday. And this is a great story of a son following in the footsteps of generations of golfing in his family. His dad was a golfer and a PGA member, and so was his grandfather. So that's a sweet moment for the golfing family. And the first thing his dad said to Justin after winning was, that's effing unbelievable. So very proud dad. And I think it's time for our first track of the evening. I'm going to play a David Bowie song. So David Bowie has had, had his troubles with drug addiction, which links to tonight's theme, which we'll be diving into right after the song. And, and a little father fact for you, a little dad fact, Bowie's grandson was also born exactly six months after he tragically died of cancer, and his grandson shares the middle name David in a homage to him. Here is David Bowie with Changes. Unfortunately, I don't have the rights to podcast the music I play on Sid Nation. I guess that just means you'll need to listen live every Wednesday from 7.30pm for all the wonderful dad tracks. Just stream it at sin.org.au or listen on your digital radio. Changes by David Bowie, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Father Figures on Sid Nation. And on this show, we often celebrate and glorify dads, I guess. But I have to be honest and say that lots of dads aren't the best all the time. And tonight, we're going to take a look at addicted dads. I'll be speaking to two dads who have been absent during some of their kids' upbringings because of crippling addictions and they are both now sober and we talk about how their addictions have affected their ability to be good fathers and how they are aiming to change now that they are sober. And because it is a sensitive issue, I'm going to start off by mentioning a couple of support lines in case anything is distressing during the program for you. So Lifeline's number is 13 11 14, so 131114 and Beyond's Blue, Beyond Blue's number is one three hundred 
22-46-36. So let's get cracking into it. So there are many different views on what is addiction and what causes it. And I'm surely, I can say that I'm definitely not an expert and far from it, but I'll, I'll try and explain it to you simply. So addiction is the physical and or physiological need to do something, take something or use something to the point where it can become harmful. It's possible to be addicted to lots of things, but tonight we're going to be focusing mostly on drug and alcohol addiction. So there are a range of factors that can lead to drug and alcohol addiction, and it's, it's probably best understood from three perspectives, and that's the brain, the psychological component, and social elements. So the brain, I guess, is your biological predisposition. Uh, so the biological predisposition is an increased chance of developing a disease due to genes. Uh, so there is a component of this in many people who suffer from addictions in terms of their personality traits, I guess. And then the psychological component, which is how we manage behaviours and, and it can relate to sort of traumas and experiences that someone's had in their lifetime, which may mean their choice to use drugs as a solution is different from someone else's choices. And the third component is social elements. So basically your surrounding can affect your likelihood to be using drugs and alcohol. So social, social economic factors or being in an environment where drug use is more common you know, can influence someone's choices. So there are a lot of different reasons and, and a lot of these things can combine and that's why people can become addicted to drugs and alcohol. But it, it's a really, it's a broad scope and I think there's just no doubt that this kind of addiction can severely impact your ability to be a good father. Uh, and the addiction becomes problematic when dads become dependent and, and whether that means it affects a dad's relationship with the child's mother, their financial situation, their mental health, or their ability to be present in their kids' lives. So there are a heap of different factors that can arise and affect parent parenting ability. So, you know, to get an idea of the scale of the problem of addiction in Australia, I spoke to Michael Thorne, who is the CEO of the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, otherwise known as FAIR. And FAIR is an independent, not-for-profit organisation working to stop the harm caused by alcohol in Australia. And I was particularly interested in research they conducted about the effect alcohol can have on children. And that was called The Hidden Charm, Alcohol's Impact on Children and Families. Have a listen to Michael. We funded uh, our research centre, the Centre for Alcohol Policy Research, uh, which is located in Melbourne, to uh, produce that work, that uh, was a second, a second uh, a piece of work uh, that they uh, undertook, followed on from the 2010 um, research project, which looked at the range and magnitude of alcohol's harms to others, and that's where we found that alcohol actually has a bigger impact on families and children and others, rather than just what. Well, I suppose we usually see when people talk about the alcohol harms and that's harms to drinkers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think it found, was it 10,000? So, so our, our hidden, our, sorry, yes, and our hidden harms uh, report, uh, I suppose is notable for 
some key facts. Uh, importantly, more than a million children are affected by their uh, carer or their carer's uh, friends drinking at any time um, or in each year. Uh, that are more than 100,000 of those kids are actually put at severe risk from their carers drinking and 10,000 are in the child protection system at any given time as a consequence of their carers drinking. You know, these are pretty significant numbers of uh, kids in, in Australia are affected by somebody's drinking, um, or by their carers drinking in particular, or, or those who are in their carers circle. Mm -hmm. and, when, and when you say carers, you, it, it's just the person who's responsible for yeah most of those are obviously parents um, but I use the word term uh, carer for a particular reason because a lot of these uh, kids are uh, are in situations where parents are absent from the home uh, and as a consequence that they that their carer is a you know someone that may be you know a family member or a friend or a relative uh, so it's, I think it's important to understand it's not just parents that are the, um, the the risk factor, although they're de facto because they're not present looking after their kids as they should be. Mm -hmm. And and do you think there's a there's a big connection between alcohol um, addiction or abuse and um, family violence? Uh, well, the overwhelming majority of Australians believe that. When we polled people earlier this year, 92% uh, of, of those people we surveyed uh, said that alcohol was a contributing factor to uh, Australia's family violence problems. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The, uh, uh, it's not only about alcohol and drugs, of course, when it comes to family violence, but we have seen clear examples, particularly in uh, remote Australia, where you remove alcohol uh, from the environment. In other words, if there's no alcohol in the home or in the community, that family violence rates collapse. It's not, it's not uh, everything, but it just, uh, I think those examples in the Northern Territory, for instance, uh, go to show um, how significant a contributor to that family violence um, uh, alcohol can be. And we shouldn't be surprised because alcohol is a drug. It's a toxic drug. It affects people's uh, behaviour. It increases the likelihood of them uh, taking, uh, you know, beha behaving in a risky manner. And, of course, it, um, if you've been drinking, it impairs your, your judgement and and that's, I think, when the problems begin uh, when it comes to family violence. That's some big numbers. One million Australian kids affected from a carer's drinking, 100,000 are at a severe risk, and 10,000 kids are in child protection scheme because of someone's drinking. So I guess, yeah, drug and alcohol can have massive effects across Australia on families. And, and so our first dad on our show is an ex-alcoholic Paul and he said he came from a good family of five with wonderful memories of childhood and he always wanted to have a family and bring them up like he was. He has two daughters from two separate marriages and his alcohol addiction meant both his marriages didn't last. He still saw his two daughters but mostly on the weekends when he was still drinking. So Paul is now four years sober and after drinking for 35 years he is trying to make amends and, and letting his actions do the talking. So let's have a listen to his story. It's fascinating, sad and inspiring all at the same time. 
Uh, did you try and uh, hide your the addiction from your oh, daughters? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, as an example of, of my drinking, I would drive home from work and stop at a bottle shop, which was only about two minutes from where mum and dad were living, where I was crashing for a while, and I'd buy a 750ml bottle of port and a couple of five-litre casks of wine. And between the bottle shop and home, I would scull a 750ml bottle of port in two minutes. Um, and that would knock the edge off the day. And I'd walk in the door and mum would say, have you been drinking? I'd go, no, no, I'm fine. I've only just bought a cask of wine. And so after sculling down a 750ml bottle of port, then I'd just get stuck in the five litre cask of wine. And the whole time I'd be saying, no, mum would say you you know, halfway through the night, you're ragingly drunk. And I'd go, no, no, there's nothing wrong with me. But I'd have um, bottles hidden all over the place, um, you know, because I'd get up in the morning and start drinking and um, totally in denial. And, uh, I mean, people aren't stupid. I thought I'd fooled everybody that I was getting away with it. And uh, people weren't noticing that I was just smashed, but you know, it was just crazy. Um, but that's part and parcel of, of, of a lot of people, a lot of alcoholics, to try and hide it. Um, and uh, I stopped drinking bottled wine uh, because of all of the clinking going on in rubbish bins at the following morning it got embarrassing that every morning I'd just be shoving four bottle empty wine bottles in <laughs> into the rubbish bin. Uh whereas casks didn't make so much noise, you could just crush them and chuck them in the bin. Um so always trying to hide how much I drank. Um and but I was only fooling myself. Mm. I wasn't fooling anybody else. And and did your any did your kids ever sort of approach you, you know, about it, saying, you know, Dad, you know, we know you're drinking too much or or something, anything like that? Yes, yes. Uh, Zara, my youngest, would always say, "Oh, I'm not drinking again, Dad," and I'd say, "Oh no, just you know, just having a one glass. That's all I need today, Zara." And and uh, then if she was watching telly, I'd sneak off into another room and try and drink as much as I could while she wasn't watching. Um, and uh, I was shocking, you know, but I, I, that's all, that's that's how I coped with life. That was my my support was just to, to drink. I needed, I had to drink. Um, and like they would know that in the mornings I had, raging hangovers and I would, you know, be sitting down watching telly or playing Monopoly at night with them and I'd just pass out on the chair. Um, so I wasn't fooling anybody. Um, yeah. And, uh, do you, you know, did you, you, it seems like you were still around, uh, a bit through all of this, did you feel, you know, you missed out on anything maybe in, you know, in 
in your fatheringhood because of the alcoholism? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, I wasn't the, the sensible, loving father who I should have been. And uh, as I said, I, I couldn't drive anywhere because of point oh five. Um, isn't that crazy that I wouldn't drive just because there was a rule to say don't drive drunk? Uh, if there wasn't a rule, I probably would have. Isn't that just insane? Um, and like there are just lots of things where I should have taken my daughters to and see wonderful things, which is what dads do with their kids. And uh, I just I couldn't do it. And uh, so a lot of the weekends were just at at home, um, and then I'd try and make up excuses to get the girls back early on Sundays. Um, instead of dropping them off at six o'clock at night, I'd try and make excuses to get them home at midday or one o'clock, just so I could get home and start drinking again. Um, and they knew all that. You know, they wanted to spend time with me, but I was just on this self-destructive um, mission, but that's as I said, that that was how I how I lived. I couldn't live without without alcohol, and mm. the alcohol came first. The kids came second. Yeah, and uh, because it, an addiction is a very selfish, self-centered thing, and. Um, and it, so I wasn't the parent who I should have been. Um, I would go to bed early because I'd just be, I'd just pass out basically. And uh, and sometimes that was in front of my daughters um, and they would just be trying to wake me up and throwing glasses of water on me and stuff, trying to wake me up. Uh, and it was just terrible. Like it was very... Uh, negligent on my behalf, but that's that was how I lived um, because I was a, an active alcoholic, and um, and uh, looking back on it now, I, there's a, a huge amount of shame of the amount of things which I should have been doing, able to do, and and as a father. And I just didn't do them. Um, but I still did. Um, I guess I've always been a bit wacky. And um, in terms of having fun um, and laughing and what have you, I wasn't a, a, a morose sort of drunk. I think I was a happy sort of... I just went into party mode when I drank, and so everything had to be fun. Um, but it was probably just, I think my daughter's must have thought, what planet is that on a lot of the time, you know? But that's all, that's all that I knew how to behave because I was in the grips of, uh, this disease and, um, and so yes, it did affect my daughters, um, my eldest daughter, at the time she was 17 or 18, she actually changed her surname by deed poll because she thought I was just a waste of space, basically. Um, 
and I still have my youngest daughter who's now 15. She still struggles with how I was. Um, I've had nearly four, four years of sobriety now, which have just been wonderful. Um, as they say, the best form of apology is changed behaviour. And so I've changed all of my behaviours. Um, and and I had to be honest with myself and basically wake up to how I was and then do a monumental change of my outlook on life and how to treat people and myself. Towards the end of my drinking, I was calling Madeline when she must have been 19 or 18 and saying, you've got to help me, I can't stop drinking. And she was saying, well, it's not my job, Dad. You know, you've got to sort this out yourself, which was very wise of her. She didn't get involved because um, uh, she had her own life to lead. And that's just the selfishness of me being uh, an alcoholic. Um, and she was very wise uh, and in that outlook. And she said, you've got to do this for yourself. Uh, and I did. Uh, I didn't... I couldn't do it for my daughters, I had to do it for myself. You can't get sober for other people, you have to do it for yourself and uh, then it all starts to work because you've, you've got a goal and you see yourself changing on the inside and then you just build on that. Uh, but ever since then, Madeline has, uh, this is the one who changed her surname by deed, Paul. We're very, very close now. Um, as I said, she'd just given me up as a waste of time. And uh, I know we talked just about daily on the phone. Um, and that's just, as I said earlier, it's, it's the best apology on earth is changed behaviour. So you think that, you know, your relationships with your daughters as, as, you know, have you seen the masses of changes with your relationship now that you've become sober? Uh, yes. With my, my youngest daughter, Zara, there's still, she has some problems coming to, to terms with it. Um, and but I've sat down with her and I've, I've said, look, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've apologised and said, you know, I'm, you know, as my beautiful daughter, I'm just very sorry the way that I was. Um, and she's she's still got some uh, how would you say grievances about it all, and I don't blame her. Uh, and uh, but I'm just very grateful that you know they say life just gets better in sobriety. Life just gets better and better and better, and and it does. Um, there are always little miracles that pop up all the time. Um, but for me, the main um, the main miracle for me that brings me the most happiness is being able to look my daughters in the eye now, um, knowing that I'm sober, and I'm, I'm honest, and I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. And uh, and trying to make amends and, and just be a better person.
because I just you know, I want to make sure that my girls grow up to be wonderful, wonderful women. Um, and so far, they're doing amazingly well. I'm very proud of my daughters. And uh, but uh, you know, I've got to be honest and say, well, their mums have done most of the hard work because I wasn't around. Um, but now I am seeing more of them. Um, now I'll try and do the best for them. Uh, you know, I think there's always a special bond between dad and his daughters, and I uh, love my girls to bits. So I just want to make sure that they end up living and living very good lives. Thanks, Paul. Um, I think I'll actually put the full interview online if you want to have a listen because it's brilliant and and you know I wish I had time on the show to play more of it it's sort of powerful stuff but I'm glad to see that he's he's made changes and and he's trying to make amends and I'm before we sort of talk about more about it I'm going to play our second dad we've got on um so it's similar uh this one has also always struggled with addiction um Josh's parents split when he was young and he was introduced to drugs at a young age. He started smoking cannabis when he was 12 years old and moved to drugs like ecstasy, alcohol, LSD and mushrooms when he was 16. So he fell in love and got married, bought a house and had a baby when he was 21. So he said that slowed him down in terms of his drug use and addiction, but he was still smoking cannabis, gambling and drinking a lot. And and with two, within two years of his son being born, his wife left him and... He still had regular contact with his son, but soon uh, Josh got introduced properly to ICE, and this was when he was 25 years old, and and that's when his life quickly spiralled out of control. He did get clean, and after spending nine months in rehab, and had an ultimatum with his ex-wife after being honest about his drug use, and she said if he went back to that lifestyle, he would lose all contact with his son. And, and Josh did relapse about a year later, and he's now been to rehab again. He graduated last night from his NA, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, and is back seeing his son and getting healthy again. So let's hear his story. And, and because Josh was busy starting a new job and, and graduating from his Narcotics Anonymous group, we had to chat while he was driving. So apologies if the audio isn't the best and it does drop out, but have a listen. It's, it's a really compelling story. Stuff happens. I'm on my drug use escalated. You know, all this time I was doing some pretty nasty crime and dealing, dealing. I never thought I'd be possible of, but I ended up being that way inclined due to the aggressive uh, nature of the disease of addiction. And found myself homicidal and suicidal. And the end of the love of my son, I suppose, it wasn't enough for me to be able to stop. I know I tried to use the thought of him for that long and um, eventually it's what maybe it's to come to how powerful the addiction is. You know, like the amount I love my son, the what I do for my son, you know, it's horrible as it is. I take my own life for someone else. So I do anything for his life but yet I, I couldn't get away from uh, alcohol gambling. Lost myself, lost my soul, lost all my morals, all my values. Um, still many, managed to maintain um, 
relationship with my son, but that was just through deceit, you know. I, I hid my addiction pretty well from those who loved me because of the shame and guilt around it. So I knew all that would do was ruin my, my son's life, you know, because his dad had either be gone or did in a jail cell for the rest of his life. Yeah, and I ended up with a detox unit. And, and did you, like, I think we touched on it before, but you, you tried and to hide your addiction sort of um, from, I guess, your ex-partner and, and, and your son? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the shame and the guilt around it, like, um, obviously, my son, I, didn't want to, I never want to have any type of interaction with drugs uh, or alcohol. I mean, alcohol meant easier to get away with there was bombs whenever I drank around him but uh, yeah his mother especially like uh, she found out the extent that I was using at the time she was taking him away from me which would have been a large straw you know I was already suicidal because of my own actions and the choices I was making I was maintaining a job I was work 40 hours plus a week uh, but I had to be high to be doing any of it you know? the, the amount of love I still have to his mother like and respect more so um the way that she is, the mother to be son, and the beautiful person she is. I just want to show how weak and vulnerable I was. Would you sort of um, credit, I guess, some of your your own um, drug problems to do with, you know, the way you you know you saw your father as having drug problems as well? Oh, I've got no doubt, and, and you know, yeah, siblings, yeah, of course. And, um, it's not their fault. I've made the choice in becoming an adult myself, you know, but I was introduced to it at an early age. I was, I was in that environment, you know. I had access to all of it, um, whether it was consensual or not. I was, I was still able to do what I wanted from an early age. So it definitely has contributed to the person I've become. You know, my, my parents in, in today, this day, uh, um, much different people and always encouraging and supporting by being probably worth um, always a little bit remorseful and sad about the way I've turned out you know they do blame themselves and and what sort of impact do you reckon that you know that your addiction and your drug use had on your ability you know to be a, a good dad I guess and a good parent well, I was extremely inconsistent, you know, I'd, 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 due to the highs and the lows of, of addiction, you know, I'd, um, I'd, you know, be really inconsistent for him, I'd be emotional at times, um, if I was angry or sad, like in the fetal position, not doing anything, or high as hell, you know, to take on the world and the elementary and the countryside, or, um, coming down really angry, so... Uh, it's probably subconsciously had a lot more of an impact than I realised, or than he even realises. But um, he's 10 years of age now, um, so uh, there's still hope that that, that might be his memories, you know, of me being inconsistent. So my aim now is to be a consistent father for him. I'm sure, I was always still in his life in addiction, but I actually wasn't there, you know. I yeah, and and <clears throat> and once you, you know, once you are clean like you are now, 
sort of how how much being just being a dad and stuff want you to you know commit to try and stay with it oh everything you know like being a part of all I've got as a person you know it's unfortunately it's where the addictions left me in life and I've got been a good 14 years 15 years of my life that I'll never get back you know like I was an aspiring sportsman at a young age you know I mean I was still experimenting pretty early but I had a lot of potential and a lot of things and you know, I can't get 10 years back and my son is my life and he's the driving force behind me wanting to be a better person and to get away from drugs it's just the love I have for him even though it's addiction it's not enough for me to stop you know like I couldn't do it alone I've tried that many times that you know, it shows me how, how powerless I am over my addiction when I'm in it but today I have a choice, and I know that if I pick up a drink or a drug, that you know, I'm not giving him a father. You know, I become selfish and self-centered and self-seeking, and um, you know, so it's imperative that I stay connected with the rehab facilities that I've just been in to be able to maintain a relationship with his son and for him to have a father. And I'm, I'm blessed. To still have his mother and her partner in my life and they've got two girls of their own which is my son's sister. Um, so I suppose my way to sort of show him that I'm involved in his life and that, you know, that I tend to be for the long haul is you know, I get involved with doing stuff with them as a family even though I'm the ex-husband and, um, I'm still pretty lucky in that area so I uh, regularly go around and help him. You know, I help him at school where I can, picking him up, dropping him off. Um, yeah, I just want to be in his life wherever I can I suppose. Go go-karting and fishing and taking the sport and um, do the things that genuinely make me feel good. And, and any advice that you'd give to other dads who are you know suffering from addiction? Uh, yeah, um, try to connect with, with some form of um, group or other addicts in recovery, recovery-based stuff, you know, like um, this thing called NA, Narcotics Anonymous, that I attend, um, there's, there's self-help groups, there's, oh, there's just basically... For, for anyone who's in addiction, they've got to want to, in their heart, stop being an addict. They've got to want to stop. They need the desire to stop using drugs. And until they get that, um, it's pretty hard you know, for anyone to do anything for them. But if you have the desire to stop using drugs and you really want to, and you feel like you can't, you know, I just encourage you to reach out, to, to Google help the drugs. Um, just things will pop up and you'd be quite surprised how many people there are, the same as you, like myself, who I can show you a way out. And then once you're out, how how good does it does it feel? Do you reckon, Josh? Well, it takes time, but it, it, to wake up each morning and to get through a day with with nothing in your system and um, know that you can be there for your child. 
this is Sin National Radio. I'm Cedric. I'm age 92, and I'm Victor's dad's dad. Unfortunately, I don't have the rights to podcast the music I play on Sid Nation. I guess that just means you'll need to listen live every Wednesday from 7.30pm for all the wonderful dad tracks. Just stream it at sin.org.au or listen on your digital radio. That was <clears throat> Gladdy Knight and the Pips with Daddy Could Swear, I Declare. Great track. And uh, you're listening to Father Figures on Sin Nation. And I was going to say we're well past halfway and, and we seriously are. I'm going to go a little bit over tonight. Uh, I was held up a bit coming into the studio. So that's okay. Stick around for another 15 minutes and we'll have it all wrapped up. So we've heard from two dads who shared their stories of addiction and how it affected them and their families. And and I think I just wanted to get a professional on tonight to sort of share some advice on, on the help that's available and and a bit more about addicted dads because I feel like I don't have any pedestal to stand on and tell you about it. So my last guest tonight I'm going to play is Dr. Stefan Grunet, and he's the CEO of Odyssey House Victoria, which is where Paul, uh, one of our dads on tonight's show, actually went to get help and become sober. So Odyssey provides support and treatment to around 8,000 Victorians a year. And Dr. Stefan Grunet is a doctorate in psychology and he specialised, actually, this is really interesting, in in how men experience and express their intimacy in relationships. And, And a component of that was how fathers shape their experience of how their fathers shape their sons' experiences of relationships. So he's really relevant to tonight's theme, so I'm going to play him now. The dads that I've spoken to on tonight's show have said that, you know, despite wanting to get better for their children, at the end they could only sort of get better for themselves. Is, is that sort of the case with most dads? They have to first, first and foremost want to get better for themselves? Yeah, I think one of the... One of the things we find in common for most people coming into treatment is that usually they're there initially um, because of some external motivator or pressure, and that may be um, the birth of a child uh, or um, you know the threat of having children removed. Um, it may be legal issues, it may be health reasons, it may be partners threatening threatening to leave various uh, or they might be you know trying to avoid prison. These are the things that often motivate people to come and seek and get some help. Um, but absolutely what, what tends to happen over time is that if people really are, are able to turn their lives around and, and, um, and maintain any positive changes they've made, they usually have to move beyond you know, those initial motivations and really want it for themselves and, and to realise that you know, in time their, their own life's going to be better as a result and that will then flow on to other areas of their life, including, you know, being a dad. Um, because many, many men experience all sorts of guilt and grief and shame associated with their children, sometimes the sort of partner that they've been to the child's mother, um, but often 
you know, the, the lack of the sort of dad that they dreamed of being or perhaps that their dad had been to them um, and they want to change that. Uh, so they experience all those emotions uh, and absolutely that's a big motivator, um, but really they have to do some pretty fundamental changes to themselves uh, over time and, and then it, it certainly flows on to the sort of dad they can be for their kids. Mm-hmm. And do you think that um, addictions are hereditary or, you know, the whole nurture versus nature, you know, is it more the environment they're in or, or is there, there can be sort of generations of, of addicts? There, look, there's certainly some, some genetic um, predisposition for a whole range of things, including addiction. So um, we certainly see patterns that run in family and families and part of that is certainly the genetic component. So it may be that some some people born in certain families are, tend to be a bit more impulsive, that they'll get greater stimulus from using drugs and um, and the choice to use drugs is, is you know much more compelling for them than for other kids. But having said that, I think the majority of the impacts and effects that really make a difference to whether someone ends up using drugs problematically or not tend to be those environmental factors. Um, and so there was there was a great experiment, you know, many years ago called Rat Park. I'm not sure a few of your listeners are aware of that, uh, where you know we we traditionally saw these experiments done on rats, where a rat was put in a cage and they were given, you know, a bottle of water or a bottle of water that was laced with opiates, and um, you know the rat alone in its cage would um, drink the opiate laced water until they were addicted and neglect their eating and health and hygiene until they passed away pretty much um, and and this other guy came along and said hey well let's create a park with a whole lot of rats where there's a whole lot of stuff to do wheels for them to run around on they could have relationships and have sex and make babies and they gave them the same two choices of water or, or water laced with drugs the same rats from the same genetic strains and um, and the rats in rat park um, you know tasted the the, the water laced with opiates um, but over, over time, they really didn't prefer that and, and moved away from that and just drank the normal water because that didn't get in the way of them having great relationships and enjoying um, the park and, and raising their kids. So I guess that experiment was an attempt to show that, you know, the environment, if you're in impoverished uh, sort of environments with nothing to do and, and boredom, then the choices you might make in those situations are very different from a is sort of a thriving community with lots of positive opportunities and relationships. So I think these are the things that really matter in communities, um, trying to prevent sort of abuse and neglect and those intergenerational patterns of poverty and, um, and violence and abuse and mental health issues. Um, you know, if you can prevent those, regardless of your genetic predispositions, we're going to have um, healthier people that make you know, healthier choices. So certainly there's a, a predisposition, um, but I think, you know, the environment is something that we can do we can do a lot about. And unfortunately in Australia, I think there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a group of people that's kind of being left behind without suitable supports and services um, to help them be the best dads that they can be and, and uh, help the kids grow up in really healthy environments. Mm, yeah. That's really really interesting about that um the rat park and and all of that and and as well Stephen how um how can addicted 
dads be helped to get better and sort of what, what you know, treatments are available for yeah. them? Well, I guess that's, that's the good news. The good news is that treatment does work um, and it works, you know, each different type of treatment might work for some people some of the time. And so we have a whole range of different options that sometimes people have to try, you know, different ones and sometimes they have to try the same one multiple times. So the types of supports and treatments available um, typically for free or very low cost include things like uh, self-help groups and like AA and NA in the community where there's people who've been through similar experiences or smart recovery uh, where they can, you know, understand what someone's going through and, and support them through that to uh, supports like counselling, um, whereby usually someone will go uh, to a local provider to you know, initially uh, get an assessment to understand what situations they're in and, and what might be some of the best supports for them. And, and where counselling might not have worked, uh, there's some online counselling as well, but you know, if, if people have tried these things and things have really got out of control, it may be that someone needs to go through a, a withdrawal or detox uh, and then into a more intensive program, whether that's a, a day program, which um, there's a few of them around the state, which people can just attend each day for sort of four to six weeks, uh, or it might be resi rehab, um, which often there's a bit, there's a longer waiting list for, but certainly if you've tried all sorts of other things, it's worth people you know, taking the plunge and getting their name on, on a waiting list for that uh, and then you know, undergoing some more intensive treatment. Now, some of those programs they can maintain their parenting responsibility as a dad and um, you know attend sessions and uh, other programs they might need to you know check out of the family for uh, for a bit of time to to get themselves sorted out which um, you know a few months in the scheme of their their life and their lives with their kids is uh, is only a small amount of time so encourage people to um, to contact a local a local drug and alcohol agency to to find to get an assessment and then find out what supports and services are available in their area. Um, they could call uh, the direct line one eight hundred triple eight two three six, and that will give them uh, sort of a, a referral to a, a service in their local area. Um, and I think it's just important that. When they do present, um, you know, it's always good for them to say that they are a dad, you know, so as well as supporting, uh, you know, trying to get some support for themselves, they're really interested in talking about how they can improve that role and perhaps get some support for their kids as well. So after listening to tonight's interviews, um, you know, people have shared their stories, some information and different insights I think I'm not actually going to say much. Um, I have learned a lot, but I'm still by no means even close to being an expert, you know, on the subject of addicted dads. And addiction is complicated and there are a lot of different viewpoints. But I think what I can say is it's never too late to turn it around. You can seek help. You can get better. So you can become the healthy dad that your children deserve. So what a wonderful, inspirational, thought-provoking and emotional theme it's been tonight. If this episode has raised concerns for you or someone you know, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Uh, Let's finish off the show with a smile. It's time for my favourite segment. Hey, do you think your dad's funny? No. No? No, no way. Yeah, not really. No. Hey, do you think your dad's funny? Oh, no. Nah. Ah, no way. No? 
No. Not really. <laughs> no. No way. No. 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 Not particularly. <laughs> does your dad think he's funny? Of course. Yes. Yeah, he really does. Yes, I think he thinks he's hilarious. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Does your dad think he's funny? Yeah, he does. Yes. Yes, he does. Yeah, I reckon. Yep. Doesn't every dad? Yes. Yes. Yes! Is your dad a fashionista? What's that? A fashionista. He loves his fedora. Oh, yes. Aren't they all? He thinks he is. No way. Nah, he dresses lame. Certainly not. No way, Jose. Jeans and joggers every day. A Crocs cool? Hell no. He tries to be. Oh, he thinks he does. Nah. Does your dad say things that annoy you? Every day. Almost every day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, what? Oh, yes, actually, quite regularly. Yeah. Every day. Always. Yes. Uh, does your dad say things that annoy you? Yeah, quite regularly. Yeah. Yes. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. Every day. Every. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> All right, let's start off with tonight's dads. Yeah, so you want you want the hard hitting questions now? Are you ready for them? <laughs> Fire away, Victor. Okay, so your uh, favourite or your go to dad joke? Well, I'm trying to think of them, and uh, but my memory on jokes is terrible. I think I'll hear a fantastic joke and think I'm never going to forget that one, and five seconds later it's completely gone. Um, I'm just thinking of one which. My youngest daughter said to me the other day, which was, uh, why did the blind man fall down the well? I'm not too sure. Because he couldn't see very well. Oh, hang on, I'll have to start that one again. <laughs> I'm making jokes. <laughs> yep. uh, oh, because he couldn't see that well. Oh. <laughs> why, did the, why did the blind man fall down the well because he couldn't see that well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the punchline kind of went out of that one, but that's right. <laughs> and and uh, do you have any dadisms, Pauls? You know, some some dad sayings. Uh, yeah, I was talking to Madeline about that before, and uh, she said, "Oh, just." When I was a kid, Dad, if I said I was hungry, I'd say, Hi, hungry, I'm Dad. Well, the thing that jumps out at me the most is he, he consistently throughout life has always never been able to accept no and always says but. So I'm always saying to him, to him no, his buts or maybe. And uh, any, any Dad fashion that you're uh, guilty of? Uh, heaps, because I'm colourblind. Oh. And... <laughs> And uh, my partner, Nicole, at the moment, I think she's always saying to me, you just don't seem to care about what you're wearing, do you? Well, no, not really, because, you know, for years I've never really tried to match any clothes because uh, I'm colourblind. <laughs> Some good answers, and it's always nice finishing off a serious interview and pulling those questions out to the dads. Always gets a good response. And... Luckily for me, I get to respond to them every week. So I'm excited for this dad joke. It's a serious shocker, really bad and, and very dad. 
This one might get the double laugh and cringe at the same time, which is the true epitome of a good dad joke. What is Forrest Gump's computer password? And that would be one Forrest one. Oh, get that wince or a laugh. I've kept it simple with my dadism this week. It's a true classic that plenty of dads are guilty of saying, and that's back in my day. How many dads start a sentence like that? Back in my day, we didn't have spell check. Back in my day, I had to mow the lawns and do a paper round for my pocket money. Back in my day, bread and milk was 20 cents. You know, back in my day, we met girls at the local dances, not on Tinder. So, you know a good lecture is going to start with when you hear your dad say back in my day. A classic dadism that has the eyes rolling before he's even begun. And, and finishing with dad fashion, I reckon this is a beauty. Uh, don't you hate it when you misplace your cell phone? You have to get someone to call it. Worse still, if you left it on silent. Well, dads have a solution and it's not pretty. The cell phone clip. Dads just love strapping that bad boy to their hips at all time. Remember when Nokias were all the rage, they'd have the Nokia in the bulky plastic case strapped to their belts. Now with big smartphones, they're not phased at all. They'll still have them on their belts and in the bulky cases. I love it. Keep rocking those phones close to your hips, dads. Well, that's it for another week of Farter Figures. An absolutely wonderful episode which covered some pretty emotional topics, but, but I'm glad we did it. So thanks for tuning in and a massive thanks for all the guests who took part. The show would not be possible without people taking time to be part of Father Figures. I just love it. And the podcast will be up on sin.org.au. No, sorry, just sin.org, iTunes and Facebook soon. Just search Father Figures. Please get in touch if you have anything you want to share. I love hearing from you all. At this stage, I think I'm actually semi-prepared for next week and we'll be chatting about stay-at-home dads. I cannot wait. I'm going to leave you with an absolute musical genius and a key figure in jazz, Miles Davis. He passed away over 20 years ago, and being a dad, he left his state to his son, daughter and nephew, who strived to keep his music in the public sphere and maintain his brand. From his last ever studio album, Doobop, this is Miles Davis with the Doobop sound. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Father Figures. Tell your dad, tell your friends, Tell your friends' dads and tell your dad's friends. Hi, it's Victor's dad. You've been listening to another episode of Farter Figures on Sin Nation. <laughs>